What's up, everybody? You are listening again to The Heavy Pour. My name is Dustin. I like to call myself the host of this whole deal. And uh, with me today, as usual, is... What's up? I'm Skyler. <laughs> oh, I got a frog in my throat. Uh, <coughs> Spencer, help. What, are you nervous? I am also here. Spencer <coughs> Evans, uh, avid history lover. Oh. Back to Skyler, who's alive again. Yeah, sorry about that. Had a frog in my throat. Um, yeah, I'm Skyler. I'm the producer of, po- producer of the podcast, and uh, here with these lovely gentlemen on a Tuesday night. Um, yeah, so we've been talking about the. Uh, this is for all you new listeners out there. If you're or if you haven't listened to our podcast yet, or if you're just coming in. On this episode, this is part three of the 80 Years War. Numero trace. I would suggest going back to number one and then going to number two and then number three. That's You're usually that's how the things ideal. work. Yeah. yeah. Ideal. Yep. You're more than welcome to listen to this. Are you going to watch Terminator own. 3 first? I would. I mean, would you? I don't really care. Two's the best. I, uh, but I wouldn't start with two either. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> that's the point, though. Okay. So, yeah. I would go back if you don't want to that's totally cool too but it just might not make sense um yeah listens to part listen to parts one and two first that'll that'll help you get up to speed for part three here yeah so great stuff let's uh (laughs) let's dive right into this episode of the heavy pour uh we're talking about um i think we're on to the 12 year truce indeed um and we talked a bit about it at the end of the most recent of last episode, but we're going to really dive into it a little bit more because as you alluded to, there's Spencer, there's a lot that happens in this quote unquote piece, right? It's like, there's a lot of stuff going down. So yeah, absolutely. This starts when 16, 1609. Right. Okay. And then, yeah, as we said, kind of 1618, but directly Dutch and Spanish fighting again was 1621. Okay. Okay. Cool. When the truce expired, I believe. Um, Did they have a time limit on it? I believe it was signed for twelve years. That's hilarious yeah, to me. A strange like, number. Because uh, yeah, the Spanish wanted time to breathe and build up again. And the Dutch were like, yeah. And the Dutch were just hoping to yeah also huh. get a breather because they had started their, their country and been at war the entire time. So. Yeah, but the, what's interesting to me about that is at this point you could say the Dutch for for how small the country in terms of re- both real estate and resources compared to the Spanish empire at this point in time, yeah, they really had Spain on the ropes, to be honest, like yeah. Spain, they were in an intractable position. Uh, you know, they're how many years by 1609, they're already in armed conflict against the, the low countries for what, like 40, yeah, 50 years, about, yeah, 40 something, I think, which is crazy. Yeah. So the fact that they would have allowed Spain to be like, yeah, sure, go take a breather. Like, I don't know. Listen, seems funny to me. We're gonna go. Well, yeah. we're gonna go uh, build our troops, and uh, then we're gonna come attack you later. Yeah, is that cool? Yeah, that yeah, seems it, weird. Yeah, it was, about it was it only is like, really a truce. Yeah, not. Is really it was like twelve end. years from now we will be fighting again? Well, there was Almost. provisions you know, that they could agree to a further twelve year okay. truce or whatever. It was just left open. But a lot of people didn't think it would happen. I so in, in 12 years, they didn't necessarily say they were going to start fighting again. They just said, we need to, within this 12 years, figure something out. 
Nah, it, I mean, because it wasn't really like a decision of, like a decision in the war, I guess. It was more just. So this was really a just a pause, a provision a pause, for them to yeah. be able to like. Both lit- sides were in pretty rough shape. Yeah, literally like get some crops in the field and go have some babies. Like, yeah. Huh, that's yeah. crazy. Raise some 12-year-olds. <laughs> Seems interesting. I guess after long enough, I mean, it makes sense. Like nobody wants to go through two years of more of war, much less 40. So yeah. 12 years of peace, even yeah. if there's a high probability that it's going to be over with at the end of that 12 years, at least that's 12 years without it. Like raise yeah. some 12-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so this dude, Johan von Oldenbarnevelt, what a name. Just the best name. Von Oldenbarnevelt. He was the grand pensionary and lands advocate of the province of Holland. What does that mean, grand pensionary? The grand pensionary. Like he disperses kind of like funds to the old people? Sort of. Yeah, like he controlled funding. Oh, pension because the purse. Okay, yeah, he's yeah. the money dude. Gotcha. So he was like a powerful political figure from the province of Holland. And I'm not sure how deep into it we went last time about like internal politics of the Dutch Republic. I think we not- went into the... That uh, they had and the Amsterdam Stock Exchange, and that we went into the value of silver and gold, and how how Spain was essentially uh, flooding the market, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and yeah. Then, I meant more like uh, internally, though, like yeah, like governmentally. We did uh, not wade into I, the canals I, I, I think with clogs on. But yeah, they had the the states general was like their government, right? Because um, they they at this point had didn't have a king they deposed their king or what? yeah they got rid of the king and then eventually said declared that it was a republic right and so they wouldn't have a king and uh it it's kind of like america but way more confederated kind of so a lot looser control right each state had localized control in their very local, localized yeah. Yeah. yeah i read this interesting passage in um this book that i'm reading a reformation the reformation of history by dear mid mccullough um the book, as I was speaking with um, Spencer earlier, it del- and Skyler too, I think, both of you guys, I mentioned that it delves a lot more into the religion than like the socioeconomic or political factions than I would ho- have hoped, but it still lends a lot of mm. great insight, especially into the specifically the, the religious reasons for something like the Eight Years' War. This book gives you mm. everything you could hope for in terms of why religion helped spark such a conflict but anyways um in it uh Dermid mccullough who wrote it mentions a french uh historian who was speaking about the united provinces so the northern sections of uh the dutch exactly um and he calls them um a religious patchwork with a multi- multiplication of intolerances and fanaticisms within different religious groups so that's like it's kind of crazy to me that they were so intensely proud of their intellectual freedom. Um, and they're, they're specifically with reference to religion. They're highly biblically literate. Um, that it leads to much like the land is fractured by waterways. You know, it's all split off with highs and lowlands and rivers and canals. Their ideologies are sort of fractured like that as well, based on the fact that they, they want everything localized, mm-hmm. um, which comes back to the States general. It's all, they all want their independence, like they're fiercely independent yeah. with intellectual. Yeah, still protecting their right, rights. Exactly. Their it's really, region. really, really fascinating that, especially at such a time in the 15, uh, well, this is now the early 1600s, but they've had this mindset for the last 40 years that they want to maintain their own sovereignty 
or or gain their sovereignty and then maintain it. And this is in a period when people couldn't even conceive of the idea of ab of breaking away from a king. And these guys are like, um, no, fuck you, mayor from the other town. We're not going to yeah. listen to you. We only listen to our people in this town. Like, yeah, it's pretty yeah. radical idea for them to be so hyper localized, decentralized and completely independent. Yeah. But also kind of ironically having such a strong stance together against an exterior power. Yeah, you know what being I mean. Being super united, but also super <laughs> not united. Exactly. All. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, because the 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 seven provinces. So like the original Habsburg territory was the seventeen provinces. Right. And then for the majority of it ebbs and flows, but for the most part, they have the uh, the seven provinces are become the Dutch. Republic. Those are the northern ones, right? Yeah, the more north ones. And that and falls that, along yeah. religious lines as well, too. Yeah, I, but again, it's very up. Okay. Uh, complicated religious situation there. Because originally in the but, south, they were the ones who helped spark it originally, yeah. right? They were more uh they were far more catholic leaning in the they south. They remained that way though. Yeah. Because there wasn't the south became all or part of Belgium. Yeah. Right, which is also kind of cool. That is like Yeah. This whole country was like, um we're similar but different enough to make a new country." Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. They're like, Pretty maybe much. they just didn't like conflict. They're like, hey, listen, this war is kind of, you know, whatever, but nah. Yeah, right. I'm over <laughs> it. They, they actually achieved what the North was trying to achieve. Right. Which yeah. is like in secret. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you guys fight. We're a different country. <laughs> <laughs> they did. Well, I mean, crazy, that, yeah. that didn't happen until later. Belgium, I don't know how long yeah, it's they been knew around, it. but it happened later. They yeah. knew it. <laughs> anyway, so, so, so yeah, with the states general, it's kind of like it's kind of funny because they were born out of this conflict because even their their yearly budget is called the war budget. <laughs> like that's the states general yearly budget yeah. is called this. Yeah, and a lot of it is just geared <laughs> towards collecting money collectively yeah. to fund more war. the war. For oh, wow. I mean, but because what a single minded year, it's it's wow yeah, it's pretty wild yeah but also yeah it, it very vibrant as well society about you know. Trading that was like their gross ta their gross tax income just went toward war. A lot of it, yeah. Yeah, but they were still very wealthy, which yeah. Actually, that's that's good for them. Different ways they were. Damn. Something that this book talks about is he called um, McCullough calls it the miracle of um, uh, Holland, specifically the northern provinces. The the miracle of the fact that even through breaking away from the largest, most wealthy empire in the world, and then fighting them for forty years. They still had a, a massive improvement economically in terms yeah. of they, uh, the Netherlands were the first country in Western Europe, no, the second country after England to get to the point where if you had a bad harvest, your people weren't starving. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that happened during this war, which is crazy to me. Like the fact that they were so run down that they had to do the 12 years truce, but they still had enough going for them that. The Spanish could be starving, but they weren't. Yeah. Oh, well, they're significantly yeah. smaller as well. Well, yeah, yeah true. So that's a benefit. That's stacked. fair. That's and fair. Yeah, there yeah. were some who wanted, like, the peace wasn't universal, universally loved yeah, by the Dutch. Yeah, it never right? is, right? Because some people wanted <laughs> to push the advantage they had. True. And yeah. some people wanted peace and so forth. But So during this during this 12 years truce, then, I, I, I have to imagine those factions fought one another 
Maybe yeah. not, obviously not like with bloodshed, but they were probably cajoling for influence throughout this entire thing, trying to gain uh, gain the upper hand for when war started out again. Yeah, for control. And uh, yeah, there was kind of like two large factions that kind of had a religious angle to them as well as kind of a who supported them. Is this, so that Johann is this Spanish or the no, Spanish? this is Dutch. The okay. Dutch. Internally the Dutch. in the Dutch. yeah, okay, all right. So during this twelve years truce, a lot of things yeah. kind of come to a head. Okay, and one of which is uh, the struggle between the uh, Armenians and the Gomarists, who were it was just different uh, reformed because the reformed church, the Calvinists. Why are they named such? Uh, for the people who uh, who founded them, them yeah. Because I know one. They were like priests. Johann Ar- Johann Arminius was a Calvinist. Preacher, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they, theologian, uh, and who's this other guy? The Gomarists, Gom- and just a Dutch. Thing. Well, there's like the Remonstrance and the Counter Remonstrance. Is okay, like another name for these two groups. Okay, but um, so, so, anyways, these two groups. So the <laughs> those names are, are um, even harder than the first. Names I know. I was just so. gonna say. <laughs> I want to look at that. Isn't <laughs> too bad. Remon- remonstrance. M R E M O N S T R A N T S. So the, I don't know, I guess, what, what do you guys prefer? Remonstrance or... So that's literally the only, the only definition of that is a member of the Arminian, not Armenian. That's two different things, by the way. Yeah. Armenia well, is a country. Arminian is a follower of Arminius, who is a, a dude. Calvinist. That was Preacher. also my question because... Yes, they're yeah, two I'm different sorry, things. That might have been yeah. confusing. Yep. That, but, that's confusing yeah. to me. And yeah, I, it's like, a bit, yeah. So let's... Let's call them. Ugh, sorry. Let's call them the the other the, the other word the other name. Remonstrant or Arminian. Remonstrant. You like that okay. one better? Yeah. It's kind of simple. Yeah. That makes so, more sense. Okay. And it's less confusing than okay. because Armenia. So that's the yeah. So the yeah. remonstrants are the guys who follow Arminius, not not Armenia. And then secondly, known as Armenia. What? Yeah. Right. So they, the, yeah. so that okay. party, not really a party, but it's like a some people who share some interests, uh, a following. There, there are a lot of them are favored by like the nobility. Yeah. So such as like the, uh, the family of Orange. Right. So the mm. sh- the stadtholders sometimes of the the House of Orange that we've spoken of before in the previous episode. Yeah. So they favored the Arminian, because yeah. they because they liked the, was Arminius more strongly Calvinist than this other guy. I, yeah, I think it was a more radical yeah, okay. version he supported. Beca- and uh, then there were, or, I'm sorry, I had that switched. He supported the counter remonstrance. Okay, so he was less staunchly catech. Okay. You want to start over? Yeah, let's start yeah. over. Okay. Yeah, that was rough. I just want to read this again real quick. All right. I'm just going to. I think I might just skip that. I mean, because there is a struggle, but. I could just skip that. Why don't we just say that there was a struggle? Just say the name, say there was a struggle, and then move on. Okay. Because it's kind of like that olden Barnabal. He he supported the peace party. So he created the peace. He wanted to keep the peace. Right. The truce. As opposed to renew this. And kind of groups. Sorry. And then the the other party was supported by Maurice of Nassau. So the. Oh, that's the son of Willem of Orange, no? I think it's like his brother, maybe. Okay. I think it's his younger brother. So they wanted to. So he supported the other party, and then eventually he, kind of, that wasn't really a coup, but or his party won, and they 
ended up executing Olpen Barnabelt. So the, the other peace party guy. And then the peace wasn't ended up being agreed to. Uh-huh. So this is where, for me, like I said earlier... And that's the 12-year's peace. Yeah. This so is in the middle of the peace. In the so, middle of the peace. So, they were trying to so, negotiate so Maurice, Right? Because, again, we should probably... Let's just go deep much. into it. Let's just get into yeah, it. Yeah, we can... Let's okay. dive in. Okay. Because then the biggest... I can edit it. It's fine. Let's well, and the biggest it. thing is this shows really, really intricately how, how confusing and yeah. complex yeah. these inner politics were. True. So, for instance, in uh, 1785... No. Somewhere around 1785... Some dude from Leicester comes down to become the Stadtholder of Holland. And within three years, he's like, fuck this. I'm gone. He can't handle how complex it is. Mm-hmm. Goes home and dies within a year of going, getting back to England. Yeah. And that was so, 1570. Sorry. Thank you. Yes. Um, but like that just is a really great example of, why, of how complex this topic is and how hard it is to talk about. And probably a great yeah. reason why. And the politics it, were very, yeah. It's probably a great reason why like not many people know about it either is because it's so difficult to speak about just based on the fact that it's so nuanced. There's so many localizations. Everything is so particular about where you are. Um, and like all on the backdrop of whether you support, uh, Catholicism or non-Catholicism. Right. So it's like, it gets confusing fast for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what about, uh, Maurice of Nassau. We need to kind of yeah roll back into the House of Orange. Okay, sure. This family that is kind of not really running the Dutch Republic, but they've often are chosen as the stadtholder of various provinces, usually Holland and the Zealand province, which are which are the most more beefy ones. The front of Dutch patriotism. Yeah. So they they contribute the most money to the budget for the war. Yeah. So they have more like kind of political clout and so. Sure. Yeah. And so <clears throat> this House of Orange, William the Third, so William the Silent, we spoke of in the previous episode. He had been kind of running the show for the Dutch military. Right. And also had political right. yeah. impact as well. But in uh fifteen eighty three he was assassinated by Balthazar Gerard. What a name, Balthazar. I had I wrote it down because I thought it was a pretty cool name. That is a great I name. I'd share it. I so there's a there's a really really great restaurant in New York City called Balthazar. Maybe it's about him. I've always wanted to go because it's one of those like old timey like romantic. It, it reminds me of some of the cafes I hung out at in Vienna while I was there for a little while. I bet you like, it is super like neo baroque type vibe. Nice. Anyways, <laughs> I want to go there. But Balthazar is a sweet name. Yeah. So the so this guy assassinates second issued a thing saying if anybody oh. kills this guy William the Silent. I'll pay you like a. He huge made a chunk public hit. Yeah, he, yeah. He put a hit out on <laughs> holy on William. Shit. That's some and mob it paid shit, off. man. Uh, Balthazar Gerard shit. shot and killed him. And really? He died. Shot him. Oh, so he's using I, a firearm? No, I'm you're right. Sure. I read this. I think yes, he was shot, but with yeah. pistols. But I think he had like a couple pistols. Anyways, so when he dies, his kind of stadtholder control semi-state that's going on is uh, passed to his younger brother who is called Maurice of Nassau. And, and that's Nassau is a place, right? It's a, yeah, it's, it's uh, like a place a, that he inherited. Like Nassau Coliseum on Long Island where the Islanders play. I think, yeah, that's the same thing. 
He, he no, but like Islander. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that makes sense though, because uh, New York was originally New Amsterdam. That's true, right? So Nassau must have been kind yeah. of another name yeah, that just yeah, came yeah. with the people. Yeah. So, ah. so my knowledge yeah, is like really just based off of like Hollywood theory. Is that is Nassau because Nassau is essentially like pirate capital, like a lot. There's a lot of pirateering. And oh, there's a lot of places Caribbean. called Nassau. Yeah. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. So it, the okay. original, yeah. I'm not sure. It's either France, okay, Belgium, or Germany today. Not an I, island. I, I, not an island. No, on mainland. No. Okay, that makes it was sense. like a duchy or it was like a province type or, thing. Yeah, yeah, something like yeah. that. I'm sure there's somebody else out there that had that same thought. So, and there are other people out there who are like, you guys are all fucking wrong, yelling into their phones, <laughs> like, yeah, you dumb idiots. Yeah. Well, good for them. They if keep you on are, listening. I was going to say, if you are, thanks for listening. Also, shoot right. us a comment on one of the random things that we're on. Yeah, we're on everything. <laughs> so, you so know Maurice, <laughs> so Maurice, Maurice kind of now is then chosen by Holland as their stadtholder. Okay. As well as some other provinces. And again, these are kind of like elections. So sometimes he's not, sometimes he is, but usually. Yeah. It's Again, it's kind of like a semi-royalty type of thing. Yeah, he but kind not, of inherits it, but he's like a lot of prestige within the country. So it's okay. And he he is the military. He controls the military itself is as it well. But kind he like of use it, I guess, on the people. But is it kind of similar to the Holy Roman Empire, where for the Habsburgs, anyways, they rule. They had they were Holy Roman Emperors for a thousand years, but they had to get elected, even though it was like kind of a given they were going to get elected. Yeah, like kind of like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So mo- a lot of Dutch history. Let's have was, an election. Oh yeah, it was well, all. It was all. Right. A lot of a lot, a lot of Dutch history is kind of a struggle between yeah. Orangists, so the people who support the House of Orange, and yeah, like Republicans. Okay. So okay. Orangists either want a strong House of Orange, kind of running the show, or a monarchy with the House of Orange as the king. Mm. And then there's Republicans who don't want to, you know, yeah, they want yeah. to stay republic but first thought in my mind is why would you want that just seems so like arbitrary and rudimentary to be like what do you want a king why well, like, like we because saying, we want a king like, like there's right. a lot of disagreements between all these provinces okay and things are hard to agree to and everything because they're very different so right because yeah. like new amsterdam so some people just new amsterdam, I, sometimes Pittsburgh. things wouldn't get done <laughs> so supporting a guy who can just if one guy can oh. do everything he can just get stuff done and because he has such like clout and they're he's still more kind of, likely again, to get yeah. things done and yeah. therefore i mean that makes logical sense i guess but yeah and these just are seems... tough times so it's it's hard for us to kind of imagine but right yeah that was totally i mean <laughs> well yeah that's, that's i guess it's kind of similar to today where you pick when at least hopefully you pick somebody who inspires you and and you you hope can get things done i guess it's similar to that except the the stopping point for me is that well, I don't know. Maybe we do have sort of an inherited system. But that's that's conversation for non-historical. That's, that's for more contemporary. Right, exactly. But anyways, okay, so... Okay, so Maurice of Nassau, House of Orange. He is the stadtholder now. This is and like this ca- I 1785? Kind of 1583. Numbers are hard for me. 15, yeah, 1585. <laughs> I actually do have dyscalculia, so that's in my head. I saw 15... I saw 1585 or 1587, but said 1785. Hmm. Yeah. It was 1583, though. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> so it wasn't any of those yeah. numbers that you just said. Yeah, but just calculate. So, can't blame Maurice on, of Nassau. I'm going to guess that. back here. He, <laughs> you could, but. <laughs> he's kind of in charge, the leader of this like war party, kind of. Okay. Because, again, he's the 
military leader of the country and yeah more of kind of like a popular movement and everything okay so he's opposed not really opposed but clashes often with this johan olden barnevelt who's the grand pensioner of the dutch republic uh, okay gotcha um nice so this uh struggle continues um until 1619 which is kind of beyond a certain thing we're gonna talk no, about but um we'll keep there was the synod of dordrecht which was where the calvinist church so the reformed church of the netherlands kind of like excommunicated the other party that we were speaking of earlier hmm and olden barnevelt and some of the other leaders of this religious movement were executed okay some in prison some killed Okay. So he was executed in 1619. So his kind of Republican phase was kind of a little bit subsumed by Maurice's, not war party, but more pro-war than not. Yeah. Right. And Maurice was able to gather a bunch of political power as well into his hands, more so than his predecessor had. Okay. Sure. Okay. So these these two, they're kind of religious factions, but kind of political parties as well. Yeah. They're cajoling yeah. all throughout and again, this. it wasn't like a strict thing like we would think of today. Yeah, they're very fluid, right? So you right? could go, yeah, you could change or not be a part of either. Right. Know? But they're they're cajoling all throughout this 12 years truce, trying to, yeah. trying to gain the upper hand within the Netherlands so that ideally from their point of view, they can then be in control when the truce ends. Is that the idea? Or are they more just like... Well, the one is a peace party, so they just want... To renew the 12 years truce, essentially. Right. Okay, gotcha. And because they're reaping the benefits of this trade. Uh, some of the things we didn't mention, I guess, with the 12 years truce was it allowed trade with the Dutch and the Spanish in certain areas. Oh. Which was a Even huge though they were boom. enemies. Yeah. But okay. they, they were like kind of at peace. So, so well, well, they still got to make money. So they're obviously still yeah. trading and True, profiting. And in this period, the Dutch yeah. were able to dominate several different trade routes. So the Mediterranean see most a lot of well i want to say most but a large percentage was done by dutch shipping within the mediterranean Mediterranean. so either getting products from the mediterranean out or within the mediterranean moving moving something from spain to greece no Hmm. the dutch were able to take control of that and even though spain has a coast literally on the mediterranean really that's wild to me yeah and uh, also like the baltic sea they were uh, very profitable up there sure timber and not different fish at uh, this point in time uh venice is re- still relatively powerful yeah waning, so like they but, waning yeah. but they they up to this point had a massive yeah. hold on sea trade as well especially yeah. in the mediterranean so it's crazy to me that the dutch were able to leverage hmm. this into something where they are having such free movement of the mediterranean but how much how much of that then translates into the dutch east india company which i think even if you're not aware with not aware of the 80 years war you've you've at least heard of the east india company i'm guessing one of them there's many countries had true true hey (laughs) yeah so where where does the dutch east india company company come into this then uh well that's founded in 1602 okay so it's pretty new so it's before the truce occurs which kind of helps to float the Dutch economy to a degree because uh, it employs huge numbers of people when the VOC is created. I think we should go into that later a bit to flesh out. Sure. Um, But I guess just understanding that it's a thing is kind of important, but uh, sure. Okay. So in the truce, uh, 
the Dutch kind of start to gain a large uh, trade deficit against the Spanish. Mm -hmm. So they're moving a lot of Spanish goods, which Spain doesn't like as well. So they also aren't super cool with this truce continuing either. But again, with they're always involved with conflicts all across their sprawling empire. So they're also not averse to not paying for another war. They're, they couldn't afford the last one. Right. Because at this point, Spain is amongst the, if not the preeminent colonial power in the world. Yeah. Like by, I would say 15, let's say 15, let's just pick uh, the year that uh, Charles V uh, ab- abdicates and hands off his different titles and thrones to his family members. At that point, um, the only other person in the world who rivals him in terms of influence power money dominion is probably the emperor of china yeah, yeah. that's about it yeah china's pretty huge <laughs> and they're obviously gigantic at this time yeah but so he so yeah spain at this point in time this is what now 50 years after that point when charles v after he abdicated but they're still they're they're not chumps like yeah, yeah. they're struggling they're they're going through random bouts of uh bankruptcy and things but They've got. They've also have bigger fish to fry in their minds some some of the times than these pesky low countries, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, hmm. so yeah, it was kind of like a tacit recognition of the independence of the Dutch, but not really. But other countries then could kind of more openly support them because of this truce and everything. But who would have who would have supported that? Like, why would you want to? If you're most of the countries well, in Western Europe are monarchies. Why are you going to try and support Just a country? Spain is so strong, I think, mainly. So, yeah. like, France, did France support? Oh, yeah. The French different 100%. times supported. The English supported them at different times. A lot a lot of German principalities supported them. Just because the power of the Habsburgs was so incredible that yeah. certain people just, it, you know. They were like, yeah. Anybody I'm who's against help them yeah. will help them out or at least yeah. be friendly with them. Yeah. Hmm. So everybody Which is was helping well. the Dutch. Yeah. Which just shows how, yeah, yeah outgunned yeah. the Dutch were the entire time. And yeah. <laughs> just through fortifications and bankruptcies, they were able to <laughs> right. hold right. on. Well, yeah. And in yeah. fact, that Spain had to worry about a lot of other things, yeah. too. They were, yeah, they were a lot of attention everywhere. That's so it was insane, never yeah. like a certain thing that this truce would be renewed. Right. But it was like a breathing space for both sides where the Dutch profited greatly. And the Spanish at least didn't have to pay as much for to fight against the Dutch. <laughs> They're right, still fighting yeah. people, but well, yeah. I mean, how could you not? <laughs> well, that's kind of how you, they really started. Well, them and pretty much any empire up to this point, you gain it through might, right? You you impose your military might upon another place and go, those are our resources. Yeah, which is really how all your bases are mine. Right. <laughs> right. But that's, so that's war, you know, you're always fighting for something and you always need what you're fighting for. Yeah, well, I guess in this point in time, it's pretty much material goods. Not quite as much ideological as more and more. I feel like today things are becoming a lot more ideological, although you could argue the 30 years war, which the 80 years war yeah. kind of rolls into, starts out as an ideological conflict. Yeah. For sure, like, but, so when the 12 years truce ends, and was that 1619? 1621, it, it lapses, and they go back to war. Okay. So literally, they... Officially. 
so officially on the books they have this document that they aren't able to hammer out uh resolution to either adding another 12 years or completely um ending the war mm. and it just they're just all of a sudden back at war like officially even though maybe they weren't armies in the field at that point still no the the paper yeah. laps the piece of paper goes yeah you're past this date you're now yeah, it kind of just started with the spanish issuing warnings to dutch ships like hey get out of port or we'll seize your stuff tomorrow whereas like a oh, week wow. a week prior to that they were like we're still under truce come trade yeah oh that's so crazy to me yeah so, like so you because could be, spain was yeah. upset with this trade deficit so they wanted the dutch out because back then they were just more their view of trade was like mercantilism so it was more like you want to control as much trade as possible yeah it's not like trading between countries it's just each country wants to control trade of certain things as much as they can right so like portugal so was, spain hated that the dutch were trading even though they were you know giving giving products to their citizens who wanted them and they're you know they, were, they were losing yeah. they were losing silver but from spain to the netherlands they also didn't have as sophisticated yeah. an understanding of how of trade as we do today yeah. it was yeah. it was much they more they were figuring out yeah it was much more um absolute back then i guess you could say yeah they pretty much kinda. they pretty much were like you found a stash of rubber trees. Those are the only ones that exist. We must control all those rubber trees and all of the rubber coming from them. Yeah. Whereas today you'd go, those aren't the only rubber trees. Like we could plant them over here. Yeah, right. Here, exactly. Here, yeah. Like, <laughs> huh? That's so so that's, interesting. Yeah. that's why trade was so contentious back then too. Is, you know, like for instance, we, we now know that gold is rare, but it's not like platinum rare, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, whereas back then it was conceived of, as being, um, you know, you find it was to the point where you can find flecks of gold and become rich, you know, like, yeah, you don't even have to find a whole vein or right. A, yeah. An entire load. You can just find some flecks and you're good because they didn't understand the concept of, well, that goes along with like the advancement of science and yeah. surveying and all that. But it's fascinating to me too, how, huh. um, all of these disciplines you we now looking back can like look back not only historically at these things going on but you can look back at them economically yeah and politically yeah um, really honestly you can you can it shows a lot you can analyze them from so many different points of view and go ah they didn't understand this or they made this move because of this reason you know yeah. that's not purely historical maybe it's um socioeconomic something like that right that they might not even had that conception themselves mm. at yeah. the time but that's the reason they were doing it right so hmm yeah so the tray the truce lapses spain kicks everybody out and the war starts kind of slowly um spain has a new king we kind of missed a few spanish kings there was philip ii was kind of who kicked it off mm. but he had died years previous to where we are now and now he has died, and his son, Philip the Fourth, who's the king of Spain and the other Habsburg Spanish territories. Sure. So this kind of like, again, they have to like appoint people, recall people. There's money involved. So it takes them a while. They're not really down for starting a major operation against the Dutch. Right. Well, they're not ready for it. Yeah. Because it's been, they probably thought, oh, we're good. You know, we can basically just 
were at peace. Yeah. So there's some skirmishing yeah. and sieges of like border forts. Yeah. Primarily, which slowly builds, but uh, Spain, it kind of they kind of uh, start to lean on attacking the economy of the Dutch, which is kind of one of their main strengths, mm. as we've been talking about right. a lot already, and which had like boomed over the twelve years truce. So it's like you know, I don't know if that was the greatest idea or not, but no. they both <laughs> on the part the of the, they both needed, it, but. But the Spanish didn't make out as well as the Dutch. No, did yeah, they lost out trade wise. Yeah, um, <clears throat> so they so, had time to they had time to plant their fields, but they weren't able to send as many ships abroad and things. Right, like they were. Well, not only that, but this wasn't like we said already. This wasn't the only war they were fighting either. It wasn't the only conflict they were involved in. So. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's kind of hard to fathom. They're fighting yeah. all over the place. Yeah. So, and they also start to embark on a heavy privateer strategy as we pirates. spoke about earlier so mm. yeah Back pirates to paid to only pirate specific countries stuff back to these old pirating ways mm. so and this is spain that has spain set this initiative. yes yeah. against the dutch because as we mm. like we were saying they sail for this mediterranean trade that they controlled oh they sail across like so the they would just, like, wait for them and then like pirate their shit yeah and yeah. even like that's, that's insane some of the more like successful and noted cool. ones are the privateer fleets from Dunkirk, which is now in France, oh, but at yeah. the time was a Spanish. Was it really? Dunkirk, eh? Yeah, old Dunkirk. So there was a lot of fleets. The Dutch also were heavily, everything had to kind of flow past Dunkirk. Wait, so for the Dutch. Dunkirk like, was trade. Spanish controlled? It was part of, time? yeah, the Spanish Not French. Netherlands. No. It was later conquered by France. Wild. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. For World War II people, right? It's crazy. But <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> no, but that, so, for me, that just explains how much further the spanish well all of the netherlands but specifically the spanish netherlands it explains how much further they sprawled out geographically and then also is makes it so much easier to understand why the south and the north had so many um differences in how they wanted to go about things because mm -hmm. the territory of the 17 provinces at this point in time was larger than the netherlands are now Mm -hmm. Yeah. So okay, that makes so much. I don't know how I didn't fact I didn't cue into that earlier, but that makes so much more sense. The the seventeen provinces. Skylar's looking at me quizzically here. The seventeen provinces that we've been talking about these last three episodes encompass more than just current day Netherlands. A lot more. Probably what fifty percent more landmass, if not twice the yeah, size. Yeah, it's Belgium and Luxembourg and parts of yeah, France. Yeah, so it's okay. it used to be much part bigger. Of the See, that makes provinces. sense. It makes yeah. so like much France. more sense to me yeah. geographically why there would be so many divisions. Um, because I was kind of, I I haven't studied a map properly enough to know where, yeah. for instance, uh, Ghent or uh, Maastricht are compared to Amsterdam. And uh, okay, anyway, sorry, I, I just. Folks, for all of you listening at home, I had a little revelation there, a little <laughs> epiphany. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, that helps too, you know, because we're, you know, we're all just listening to it, so it, yeah. it helps to visualize it as well. Well, that's a big thing. I would say I would I would suggest anybody listening to this just mm -hmm. pull out like a map and just try and find some of the place names that we're speaking of, so that you can at least have an idea mm -hmm. of where in Europe they are. For me, maps are very uh, beneficial. It helps me yeah. conceptualize movements Love. of people yeah. and knowing where um, natural boundaries and barriers are and things. Well, we'll definitely be posting some uh, 
you know, maps for this area. Sure. Maps as of well. the Benelux yeah. region. Yeah, yeah we we'll can do be, that. Yeah, we'll be uh, posting some maps on our. So take a look at our, our social stuff. medias when you're listening to this. You'll you can go to our social medias. Yeah. Um, and get a look at those maps so that you can have an idea of where in the world we're talking about, and not just have to. In yeah. where is Carmen San Diego? Where is where at this in the point world? in time? I bet you she's hanging out in the Tower of London. She's doing her thing. She must be. She must be. <laughs> she must be. <laughs> okay, so the wh- who are the, we're on Ferdinand, which king, Spanish king? Philip yeah. the fourth. Philip the fourth. Philip okay. the fourth. Yeah. So they they weren't right. crazy creative with their naming. They never were. Heirs. Why do you think they got uh, the Phil, Louis the Phil 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 Louis the sixteenth, eighteenth? Yeah, freaking French. Yeah. What should we name him, Louis? Yeah. Anyways, yeah. So uh, <laughs> also over time, there are several campaigns by the Spanish and the Dutch to push their advantage. Not to, we kind of made it seem like it was all just kind of like resting, buddy, buddy, little stuff. So they still yeah. had skirmishes. They both were trying to, and because they both, I think it was kind of understood pushing that the boundaries. They wouldn't like yeah. this. I don't th- think the Spanish really thought that they were going to crush Netherlands totally. Yeah, but at least they wanted. If there was going to be another peace or a truce, they w- both wanted to have the best position. Oh, for sure, because yeah. they were both reliant on these rings of fortresses and everything. So they both wanted to carve out a bigger chunk in all these waterways, which are vital to everything in the Netherlands. Yeah, they wanted the best locations on these areas. So were they making this truce in the hopes that the other guy, the other side, would go, "Oh, we have a truce. I won't do anything," and they were hoping they could get the advantage by going like, "Truce, not." Like they, it seems it like they kind of, they kind of seem like they were both like, feels like a, that a little bit. Yeah. You want a truce? Yeah, sure, truce, <laughs> dummy. Yeah, right. <laughs> like they that's both what thought it, they were, you know, that's tricking what the it other kind guy. of feels like. <laughs> yeah, but they both were like, mm, yeah, right. You know, they were a little you're sly not me. about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm so. actually going to attack you, and they're like, well, we're already, we were already planning <laughs> that. So okay, I saw that years ago. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So in uh, 1622, for uh, just a note, one of these pushes, the Spanish pushed into the Dutch Republic and captured. Well, they besieged the city of Bergen op Zoom. It's a great name. Nice. There's Which so is heavily, heavily fortified Bergen Dutch Zoom. city. But they ultimately, besieged it. disease and desertion crippled the army and Classic. it petered away. So this is kind of like. It's it sounds much simpler for us to be like oh, we didn't just push or why didn't yeah. just take over but yeah oh, desertion the, was a real thing so and disease started, was killing tons of people yeah. so and again low countries there's swamps which are often you know, more disease prone and for sure so, well in so. desertion because Pay, maybe probably. you're not getting <laughs> like, paid you're yeah. not getting you're fed. in some weird place you're like yeah. you're Spanish but you're in you all of a sudden question why you're the exactly your question cold. why you're there what you're doing yeah and you're not being paid yeah, yeah. that's it's probably the biggest dude. thing you know I mean let's be real most of us wouldn't do what we do unless we're paid so I wouldn't deliver pipes around Buffalo if I wasn't being paid <laughs> yeah. no I'll tell you that yeah, yeah. well you know yeah. So, uh, 1625 is our next kind of year of note, I guess, I, that I, I have for mm-hmm. my stuff here. Um, so, so that's year, when... Four years later? Yes. Uh, well, three years after the siege I just mentioned. Okay. Right. I don't know what you were... Three regarding. years later. Yeah, three. <laughs> so, 1625, uh, Maurice of Nassau dies. Oh, this R. guy. He's gone. 
No, Maurice. Is there Maurice. another person of NASA? Yes. Ah. So he is succeeded by his half brother, Frederick Henry. Of NASA? Of Orange. Of Orange. Oh, Orange NASA. I think they merged the houses or something, but oh. don't quote me on that. Anyways, okay. They're pro- I'm sure they're still semi affiliated. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. So Frederick Henry takes the helm as stadtholder for Holland and various Dutch provinces within the States General. Okay. And also in 1625, uh, Spain. And England go back to war again, which Classic. again is this problem with Spain. Yeah. They can't just keep one thing going and finish it. They yeah, they just start a bunch of stuff. They get they embroiled yeah. in another scenario. And England yeah. is a booming naval power as well. Oh, which by sixteen twenty-five. Oh my and these, goodness. These pri- privateers again. English love doing that as well. They about to blow up. The Spanish trade routes were very <laughs> vulnerable, and yeah. everyone liked to just pilfer from, steal their silver. Oh, not my silver. And so uh, also on that thread uh, in 1628, so three years following this, uh, the joining of England into the war. Yeah. Spain gets embroiled in the War of Mantuan succession. Wait, what? Which, the War of Mantuan succession. Where's so Mantua, Mantua is in northern Italy. Okay. It was like a, I'm not sure what type of thing it was. Why it was like did a Dutch year. The basically France supported a different claimant to Mantua. <sighs> so again, France and Spain <laughs> hate each other. So at any point they're willing to to the point mess yeah, with each other. They hate each other to the point of like fighting over a county like election, basically. They're like <laughs> they're like Kinda. what is this place? I don't know, never heard of it. You like that guy? We like this other guy. Fuck you, and they fight over it. Yeah. That's crazy. So once again over Spain's money. A county. Yeah, no. Yeah. Spain, strap for cash yeah. again. And uh, just to, Spain. again, hammer this point home. Spain, 1628. always tugging at your wallet. Just yeah. always strapped for cash. Uh, 1628, another major bummer for Spain. So I'm not quite sure how to pronounce this name, but uh, I think it's like Pite Hein. He's a Dutch captain who captures one of those Spanish treasure fleets in the Caribbean. Oh, what a weird. So, you know, those movie. things that we had spoken of yeah. that were kind of it was like a investing sort of opportunity for Spain to raise funds for the various oh, wars right, right, right. because yeah. people knew these shipments of silver and gold were always coming in. Yeah. Well, one of them was stolen by the Dutch oh, in 1628, nice. which then went to fund their trade and their fighting and so yeah. on at the detriment of like an insane amount of money. Yeah. Like their national budget for like a year, essentially. Holy just shit. Like, yeah. Oh, it's gone. And they have it, like our enemies. It's uh-huh. like, oh, that's totally sucks, you know. <laughs> Where the fuck did it go? Yeah, so it was, I mean, not sure how to really translate this, but it was 11,509,000 guilders of booty. 11 million of anything is giant, yeah. but when guilt, so guilders are guilders. solid fucking gold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 11 million pieces so of eight, basically. Like, I don't know. A trillion dollars. Yeah, it's something <laughs> stupid. Like, crazy. Today's money. Yeah, so it funded the Dutch army's operations for eight months. So yeah, like a trillion dollars. So Good paying Lord. everybody. Well, so what's buying the gunpowder, food? What's our that. budget per year for military? Oh god, like billions, hundreds uh, of billions, hundreds of billions. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Crazy. So maybe not trillion, but. Hundreds of billions. Dollars. It's a, yeah, like a lot of money. <clears throat> a lot of cash. Insane amount, especially yeah. having stolen it from your enemy. Right. The deficit there, the, the like, holy moly. Yeah. yeah. They're like, these annoying guys always have money to 
pay more guys to fight us and then they take all your money and pay more guys to fight yeah right (laughs) (laughs) what the fuck i hate these dutch guys yeah so they're the worst a lot of the fighting eventually kind of revolves to overseas attacks on trade and outposts like Move. this one that we just mentioned so it moves away from directly in the netherlands Again, to more always, overseas stuff but kind of it kind of spreads At out times. a little more okay i guess like the overseas stuff is more i guess it keeps it keeps going on where there's spurts of one side would get some money and stuff and push uh, okay and then the gotcha. other side would get some yeah. money and guys and push okay a little bit and maybe they'd capture a castle like or a ye- fortress like year by year yeah, Essentially, just kind like of grinding away at each other with, again, ebbs and flow. flows. Yeah, it would take forever to get into all of these um, little skirmishes, such as like 1632. There's a string of Dutch siege successes. Uh, they capture Venlo, Roermond, Maastricht, and others, you know, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it kind of peters out again where both sides, again, are kind of exhausted because what we didn't really mention was that the 30 years war is ongoing through this whole time, much of the period we've just spoken of. Okay. Right. So, okay. Yeah. Most of Europe is kind of embroiled in this huge conflict that they're all part of and all are exhausted. And the Dutch have been fighting kind of for like eight years war. So they're kind of gearing up for peace and they want official recognition of being an independent country so that Spain couldn't just roll in and, destroy the entire republic well and also i'm that makes sense but also for this whole time it sounds like spain is also getting this their ass whooped by everybody else and like or like ganged up upon they are getting ganged so up. That by being so like, large and powerful right they're a target right. to everybody yeah. and everyone's like no fuck you and then dutch is like we just want to be a country yeah yeah that's and, okay. and yeah the 80 years war yeah so may so, heavily detrimental to spain just okay at, at the time at its outbreak they were like the leading nation the, of europe yeah they were the preeminent empire and by the end of it they were just been ground kind of down mm-hmm. and lost most of their impetus to f- mainly france and england and the austrians and so on yeah but shit okay. they'd kind of lost their dominant position yeah so, so sorry go ahead. so that you mentioned the Thirty Years' War. That's actually what we're going to be moving into for our next episode. But I want to kind of set the stage um, with sort of the preamble to the Thirty Years' War, because there's a lot that goes into. It's not just like it's not just like these Catholics and Protestants all of a sudden were like, "Fuck you, let's fight a thirty-year-long war over this thing." Yeah. It had been. Uh, growing and embers had been smoldering for a long, long time up to this point. So we're going to, I'm going to kind of just backtrack a little bit um, and just give you some important dates that lead up to the 30 years war, which ties in to the end of the 80 years war, which we've been talking about for the last two and a half episodes. So the main date that is really important to the beginning of the 30 years war, it has some, um, some play in the 80 years war as well. Um, but it's, uh, the Peace of Augsburg in 1555. Um, so back, when did we speak about the 80 Years' War starting? It was around this time, 47, something yeah, like that? Yeah, it's 1568, 1572. Okay. In my class, I took 1572. But right, either. so 
So what is that? 12. No, numbers 10. 18 years prior, 17 years prior to um, the outbreak of the 80 years war. There's this thing called the Peace of Augsburg. And basically, this is when in a different part of Europe, in the Holy Roman Empire, um, so Central Eastern Europe, they choose um, to, they they had been sort of, there had been tensions that had been rising, um, much like we've heard all throughout the last two and a half episodes about how tensions between the Spanish and the Dutch were rising this whole time and came to a head. Same thing um, amongst the German principalities and the varying um, Protestants and Catholics throughout those regions. Um, because at this point, Germany didn't exist. It was it was a bunch of principalities. It was Westphalia. It was Thuringia. It was all these tiny little places, you know, in the mountains, in the woods, you know, noblemen living in a castle out in the middle of nowhere. But they were princes, basically. <laughs> so anyways. Sovereign. Yeah. So um, in 1555, 1555, the Peace of Augsburg is signed because they nobody really wanted, in Central Europe anyways, nobody really wanted a war at this point in time. They had already gone through, as you always do through history, but there was a lot of shit that went down prior to this. And so they um, basically signed this treaty that said um, the, Catholic, the Catholic powers that be said, okay, fine, you want to be Lutheran? Because Martin Luther, obviously, in 1517... Um, you know, 40 years prior to this, declared his 95 theses and he gained a following of Protestant um, followers or his ideas did anyways. And the the uh, various Roman Catholic and Protestant leaders by this point in time, by 1555, decided they just were like, you know what? You declare what you want to be and all your subjects will, will follow suit and we're not going to fight a war over this. You know, we all believe in Jesus Christ. Let's just move forward, right? Um, interestingly enough, that did not include Calvinism, which is what a huge part of the outbreak of war in the 80 years war in the Netherlands. The reason I think for part of that was because Calvinism wasn't included in this piece of Augsburg and therefore just like Lu I think Lutheran and Catholic, right? It was only Lutheran and Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know specifically, you might be able to speak more to that, but that could be a big part of, um, why there wasn't peace in the the low countries at this point in time. Yeah, but, yeah absolutely. Um, so the crazy thing about this treaty is that a lot of people say that it wasn't really effectual, that it, it just forestalled the inevitable. But really, if you think about it, it was almost 70 years in Central and Eastern Europe of, of peace, of just live and let live. Um, obviously, you're going to have your atrocities Conflict, that come along with yeah, history and all that stuff, right? But um, it lasted... Uh, all the way to 1612, realistically. Um, so just to set the stage for the Thirty Years' War, the most important um, players, I would say, are a couple of Holy Roman Emperors. Um, first of all being Emperor Rudolf II. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this guy. I haven't. No? Uh, yeah, a bit. But. So he was this kind of crazy dude. Um he was again a Habsburg, born basically born into the position. Of course, he was a Habsburg. Yep. everybody's a Habsburg. They're just like the villains of old Europe. <laughs> What's but, your but last they're also kind of not like they're the villains, but they're also like, oh, for instance, Rudolph. He was kind of like, oh, you want to believe what you want to believe? Cool. I don't, I don't give a shit. Just believe it. 
So he ruled from verbatim. 15, basically, if that, that, was the if that was like low Austrian German from yeah. the 1500s, psh, that's the words he was saying. Imagine basically. Arnold saying it, and that's. Do you want to believe? P- fuck it, believe it. I don't care. <laughs> I applaud that. That was, yeah, that was great. That was good. So, so Rudolf, <laughs> sign my treaty. Do it. <laughs> Come on, just do it. Go be I'm right Luther. here. Go be Lutheran. I don't care. <laughs> He doesn't care. So That's much so great about that. <laughs> That's pretty great. So, so, <laughs> so em- Emperor Arnold, um, now Rudolph II, he either just was vastly tolerant of the religious plurality going on throughout um, the Habsburg Empire, throughout the Holy Roman Empire, because at this point in time, you've got, it's not like, so the way we look at a map of Europe today, it's like Germany, it's all Germans. And then the Czech. Right. Czech Republic, it's all Czech people. That was not the case at this point in time. It was, you would have a lot of German speakers who lived in what is now Czech Republic, but they actually were, um, they followed Jan Hus, you know, who was a uh, uh, early, early reformer of the Catholic Church. Or they were Italian-speaking, German-identifying, living on the south side of uh, the Austrian Alps. Or like, it was a crazy patchwork, yeah. mixed match. Very, there were no, homo- it was yeah. not homo- homogenous. Yeah. It was like a lot of dialects to even just tons of dialects. A lot of main languages today weren't even like formed yet. They were just right. a dialect of right. tons of like France. A ton. Exactly. Yeah, that's insane. And there's, there's all these ethnicities living one town over from another, one town over from another different religion, all this. So Rudolph has to deal with this in this massive empire. And he just goes, ah, fuck it. You guys just do what you want to do. <laughs> Either he does that. You do you. Sounds like a pretty dope ruler. Honestly. Either either right. he goes. Rudy. Rudy. <laughs> right. Either Rudolph is Rudy like. Rudy tootie, man. Either he's like, I appreciate that All you believe way. this and you should continue doing that because I'm a good guy. Or he was like. It's too hard to control. It costs too much yeah. money he's to like, kill them all. I don't give a shit about this theological reasoning behind what you. I don't care. Just do it because I'm more interested in my cabinet of curiosities, which is something crazy. If you guys get a chance to go to Vienna ever, go to, it's called the um, Kunstkammer, which literally means like art cabinet. Um, it's basically a tiny personal museum where he just collected all this crazy shit and put yeah. it put it and arranged it in a room so that when he would have people over, he could be like, check it out, I got a unicorn horn. <laughs> and they'd be like, whoa, that's wild, dude. <laughs> it was actually a narwhal tusk, but it's pretty fucking cool. I've seen it. Those are the unicorns of the sea. Yeah. So, <laughs> swimming in the ocean, causing a commotion, because they are so awesome. Nobody? No? Okay. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, he, he's... So, f- what was this called? The, the um, Kunstkammer. Kunstkammer. Yeah. So, anyways, the reason I'm getting to all of this is because a lot of historians say that, uh, and I think contemporaries of Rudy, Rudy we're just going to call him Rudy. It's a great name. It's a great name. A lot it's of catchy. Rudy's contemporaries were name. like... You don't give a shit about what's going on politically in the areas that you rule. All you care about is your Kunstkammer. And he was like, not denying it. Um, so he's maligned for this reason, for as being a major component of the 30 years outbreak of the 30 years war, um, because his hmm. political decisions were pretty shite. They were Rudy. He wasn't great politically Rudy. in terms of like he didn't he didn't give he didn't do the Machiavellian like machinations. He didn't like dive in and be really devious. He yeah. he was just like kind of at face value 
And he like, you know, he had a horoscope from Nostradamus when he was a kid. Like, what else do you want in life? Like, you got Nostradamus right in your horoscope? You're fucking set, dude. Why do you give a shit about anything else, right? Just think of your family and imagine, like, there's got to be a couple people in your family you don't think could run a gigantic country, right? And then plop them in there? But if they were born first, like, well, he's the guy. That's Rudy. God wanted it, bro. Rudy. Okay, yeah, Rudy. Rudy. So so you can get some duds. Rudy. Yeah. um, From 1606 (laughs) until his death in 1612. Um, so this is how bad he is. He, he's ruling from 1576 to 1612, but for the last six years, mm. um, he grants all of his titles and most of his power over to his younger brother, Matthias. Um, and it's because he, by this point, Rudy just, he, he doesn't care. He's holed up. He, by the way, moved. He's the first and only Habsburg to ever move the capital. It was in Vienna the whole time. And Rudolph goes, yeah, I like Prague better. He moves it to Prague. Prague is pretty cool. Prague's amazing. Um, And he's actually a huge component of why Prague is still considered this like mystical, weird place. There's Alchemy um, Alley in right in the castle district in Prague. Mm. Um, It's like this. That's why the idea of like Bohemian being like really astrology. So he was into magic. Yeah. No, totally. No, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, He he brought Nostradamus and John D and all these crazy assholes to his court. Yeah. And it was because he was focused on all these other things that a lot of people say the 30 years war broke out is because he wasn't focused on like the hard world, like running people, people are starving country. or dying yeah. or exactly. Yeah. I have a soft spot in my heart for Rudy. So I'm not going to say that he did cause all this, but he probably did. Um, he, Rudy sounds like a dreamer. I mean, we could all, all right? do that. You know, like, hindsight's 2020. He full on yeah, was a dreamer. Yeah. yeah. Rudy sounds like a dreamer. Doesn't sound like a hard country running king. You know who was though? His younger oh, brother, Matthias. Matthias. God so his, damn it. So of course he was, Matthias. Matthias basically pushes his older brother out, and all of Matthias's Habsburg cousins and family members are like, yeah, you actually know what you're doing, so cool. Were they, were they like, shit? Like, oh, no, they, they were okay with it. Get on point? Or like, they were no, okay with it. Well, they're probably making more money now, too. So Not like, necessarily. Mm-hmm. No, it was more like they needed they needed somebody who they saw as more competent in terms of state statecraft they needed somebody more anti-protestant probably is what they <laughs> also that yes that's <laughs> actually like, yeah. exactly this guy is way too chill like yeah, yeah like, this what's up with that dude? this dude's cool with anything so like that's exactly can't. where we cannot have that it circles around in yeah. 1611 uh no no sorry not 1611 1607 rudolph grants because he's been so weak basically on the bohemian protestants up to this point for those of you who don't know, Bohemia is an actual place. It's not just like a color palette from your fucking Upper East Side uh, loft. Or uh, part of a Queen song. Yeah, true. True point. But um, no, this was an actual place in what is now today the Czech Republic, or Czechia, as they're calling themselves, which still baffles me, but I'll take it. Czechia. It's smoother than saying Czech Republic every time. But it's it also true. reminds me of Chechnya, which is not yeah. as cool as Czechia. Che- it's Czechia. very far. Yeah, not even close. Yeah. Um, so anyways, these Bohemian Protestants basically squeeze Rudolph into giving them what's called the Letter of Majesty, which just grants them more. He, he's doing it every time. He grants them more liberties. Basically, the nobles, the Protestant nobles um, in Bohemia are now like just squeezing him for everything he's worth. Um, and finally, in 1611, he's like, guys, what else can I give you? Like, I can't give you anything more. And so he sends his armies to quell these ever increasing rebellions um from 1606 all the way up to 1611 and they're like well fuck you and they 
talk to his brother Matthias, and they're like, yo, can you come fight your brother for us? And he does. So he gets into Prague, locks Rudolf in uh, the Prague castle, and that's where he dies. So Rudolf dies in prison. Matthias killed his brother Rudy? Matthias takes over. Five months later, he's elected Holy fuck? Roman Emperor. Yep. So it's like, oh, imagine if the Empire won. No, it's, of course, because it's the Holy Roman Empire. Fucking Romans. Yep. So Fucking brother-killing Romans. Heartless. <laughs> Just like that. said hardly. So Matthias is, is five months later elected Holy Roman Empire Emperor. But here's the crazy twist. These freaking Habsburgs can't figure out which family member they like. By 1619, so the same time that the um, 12 years, around the same time the 12 years treaty is, um, or the 12 years treaty or peace? Truce. 12 years truce. I was wrong both ways. Around that same time that that is ending, um, they're ousting Matthias now because they want someone even more staunchly Catholic. So they bring in Ferdinand II. So the same way that Rudolf... Ferd. Yeah, the same way that Rudolf is deposed seven years Brandsburg. prior, they depose Matthias. And now Ferdinand II comes on and he's crazy Catholic. Like he's like staunch. It's not even crazy. So staunch. So they're uh, They've been in There should be no heresy It's a very funny word Staunch Staunch It is is He's a staunch Catholic And he uses that Hey don't And uh, so he's interpreting this Letter (laughs) of majesty That I mentioned earlier That gives all these liberties He's interpreting it differently Than the Protestants In Bohemia And they go Well fuck that We've had all these liberties This whole time And now you're gonna try And take them away from us again Um So on May 23rd, 1618, so this is now not even a full year into Ferdinand's reign. They're like, these Protestants go, fuck you, dude. You're trying to take away all these liberties. So Yinrich Matthias Turn, who is this nobleman, leads another group of armed noblemen. They're ready. They're armed for a confrontation. They go up to Prague Castle in 1618. When they get there, they capture the two imperial governors of Bohemia, as well as uh, their secretary. And they very politely lead them downstairs. No, they throw them out a fucking window. What? It's called the defenestration of Prague. It's happened twice before. The second. People in Prague like throwing people out of windows. To defenestrate is to throw out a window. What are these fuckers write Game of Thrones or something? What the fuck? Right. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) So they throw these three guys out the window of Prague Castle. <laughs> what the? You fuck? can imagine their ending was not fun. Well, it's a castle. <laughs> yeah, they died. Um, but what's crazy about this? Uh, the thing that I love is it's so conceptual. It's like started from the top. Now you're there, right? Yeah. So they throw them out a window as a reference mm-hmm. to like the fact that we're done with your high, high-minded, heavy-handed bullshit. We're bringing yeah. you down to our level. Oh, oh, by the way, you're dead now. But it's conceptual as well as like. Physically, they're getting rid of the people in charge of them. But this also, is like, is this royal on royal or is this like? Yeah. So these are these are Protestant nobles kicking out the imperial um, the, officers who are who are going to be nobles at this. But the, they're above them. The imperial officers are. Yes. So they're throwing out the people above them. Yeah. Yeah. To bring them down low. Fair enough. Conceptually, it's amazing. But they, do, do they mean to do that? I mean, come on. Yeah, it's the second time it's happened. Okay, so this is a thing they do. Oh yeah, like, they love to defenestrate. They do. I'll tell you. They're that. like, hey, Which, listen, we're gonna have a party. About it. We're gonna have a party. You guys are all invited. Come it's watch these at dudes. The top spire. Uh, 
don't think about it too hard. We got a giant know? jello pool down there. <laughs> then they're like, uh, you know, uh, Jeff, I don't think we should go. <laughs> Jeff. Think, Jeff. Geoff. So they throw these assholes out a window. Well, I should say these poor bastards out a window. Two days later, they depose Ferdinand um, as the king of Bohemia and begin mobilizing Protestant armies against the imperial incursions into their newly sovereign territory. So basically, they throw the imperial, they throw the emperor's advisors in uh, Bohemia out the window, and then f- that's a that's an informal fuck you. And then they formally, two days later, say, no, actually, fuck you. You're no longer our king. Obviously, Ferdinand has to respond accordingly. He mobilizes armies uh, because you can't let some upstarts um, basically say that you're not their king anymore. Like we said earlier, that's just frowned upon. Frowned upon slash for some people completely unthinkable. Like they literally couldn't comprehend yeah, of this being yeah, a thing. divine right yeah. of kings. Exactly. They thought God. So this is to, yeah. them to be there. This is yeah. 1618 by 1620. Um, the what would some some would call the first battle of the Thirty Years' War had happened, um, and from there, shit gets crazy. So, okay. there's another three decades of war following these <laughs> dudes getting thrown out a window. But yeah. we're gonna leave that for the next episode. Yeah, we are. But yeah. the battle is the Battle of White Mountain. What a great name! Which is a great name. Great name the to battle leave you of in White Mountain. Yeah. So tune in for the next episode to hear all about the Battle of White Mountain, Mountain. and all of the subsequent uh, conflicts, as well as maybe some more window throwing. Who knows? We, it could happen. I might throw a Skylar out a window. I don't know. Hey, if it happens, I'm just going to fly. <laughs> fly like an eagle. Thank you guys so much for listening uh, to The Heavy Pour. Uh, I've been Dustin. I've been Skylar. I'm over here, you know... Um, don't forget to I was ask gonna get to any that. questions. Gee, I, know dang were, it. I don't know you're gonna get to it, but I, I just figured, you know, we, we hear from you every week, so no, it's true. Uh, you know, if you have any questions, reach out to us. We love reading messages when we get them. Um, and I just want to throw out another special thank you for uh, to St- uh, uh-huh. to uh, Spencer. Thank you, Spencer. Because. This has been a lot of fun. I'm I'm looking forward to ending the Thirty Years' War and uh, see where we go from there. Right. Well, let's begin it first. Well, so. it must begin before it ends. It's true. <laughs> right. I mean, it did just begin though. <laughs> we did true. talk about that. I mean, that's true. 1618, right? Yeah, that's the. Uh, that's what they say. Yeah, and we're back, and we've time traveled. Whoa. <laughs> we went there, and now we're back again. So thank you. I have been Skyler. It's good to be a part of this. Uh, I had a lot of fun again this time. Uh, the Dutch thing, it's kind of my focus of a lot of my studies in, in college and everything. So Fascinating. I mean, it's been a, that was, you know, that wasn't yesterday by any means. But uh, <laughs> Fascinating to me because I have zero knowledge of, of the Dutch or the, or the Netherlands at all. So I learned, I learned right along with you listeners. So thank yeah. you for that, Skyler. Skyler. You too, but Spencer is what I meant. It's a, the other S guy yeah. that lives in this house. <laughs> there is a lot of S's going on in this house. But, uh, all right, awesome. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the listening to the Heavy Pour. Uh, see you next week for part four. Part four. Thank you so much. Peace. Bye.
Thank you all so much for listening. The Heavy Pour is researched and written by Dustin Barton, recorded and produced by Skylar Carroll, and edited by us both. Check us out at The Heavy Pour Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, or at our website, theheavypourpodcast.com. There, you can also find any citations or corrections we have made. Our intro and theme music were written by Skylar, with photos by ourselves, as well as Kaylee Kirkpatrick. Thanks so much for listening.